We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is the Sixth Man Show on Orlando Magic Podcast with your hosts, Luke Sylvia and Jonathan Osborne, covering all things Magic Basketball. Five fans, four fans. Go Magic! What's going on, Orlando Magic fans? You guys are back with the Sixth Man Show. Today is January 18th, 2024. Jonathan Osborne here, as always. Joined by my co-host, Luke Sylvia. Luke, what is going on? We talk about this often, but recording after a loss when there's been two games in the week and the most recent thing that happened was a loss, I'd much rather, at this point, lost the Knicks game. Yeah. Won the Hawks game tonight for the sole reason and the selfish reason of the uh, just recording a podcast tonight. So, really puts a damper on things. You just have to take a wide lens approach because at this point, yeah, it's rough. Yeah. I feel like absolute garbage. Um, Our whole house has this flu or bug, whatever is going on, 102 fever, body aches, runny nose, coughing. Our little guy pretty sure has some you know form of croup. He can't sleep, so we're not sleeping. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to, obviously, we watch every game. But I'm going to force myself to sit on the couch, suffer through this game. Hopefully, the game is fun. And then, like, recording the podcast afterwards won't be quite so painful. And, you know, it it won't feel like we're, like, suffering through that. And basically, like, nine minutes to go in the fourth quarter when we couldn't quite get control of the Hawks game. And we're going to talk about it, right? We're going to talk about the Knicks game. We're going to talk about the Hawks game in, in detail. Well, like nine minutes to go, I was just, I've never been more convinced that we weren't winning a game. And then Paolo goes into that three and I'm like, oh, eight seconds left. You just got to get a stop. And man, when I tell you, (laughs) I am so, so sick and tired of DeJounte Murray late game heroics against the Orlando Magic, whether it's last year, Paolo Bancaro fouling him at the buzzer and him hitting the free throws to win the game. Earlier this year, Mexico City hitting the three to ice the game. Tonight, the shot over Markel Fultz, which Markel Fultz defended really well, but DeJounte Murray at the buzzer, like, man, I am so freaking sick and tired of this Hawks team. Mm, yeah, I 
I just just rough all the way around. Uh that final possession was brutal. The just the swing of emotion, obviously. I just had a feeling when Snyder doesn't take a timeout there that that's going to be uh, that it's not going to go well because a lot of times the advantage does go to the team that doesn't take a timeout. A lot of times the team that they just go, coach trusts them. Dejounte Murray not looking at anybody else, and knew it was. I just felt like it was going in at that point. Yeah, we'll talk more about the game in detail. I uh, just want to give you guys a, a heads up of a few things here. First of all, first of all, next six fan show we're filming this Friday outside of Kia after the Philadelphia game. Ben will be out there. Make sure you stop by, say what's up, give your takes on this team. A lot to be frustrated about with this team right now. We're going to talk about some of that on the episode today. Um, our next Patreon Zoom uh, is going to be uh, next Thursday, the 25th at 8 p.m. Eastern. If you're not aware, uh, members of our Hall of Fame and Elite tiers in our Patreon uh, get access to monthly Zoom calls where we literally just get on Zoom with our, our patrons, our listeners, and just talk not only Orlando Magic basketball, but also, oftentimes we just talk about life and movies and food and, and whatever the case may be. So it's always fun. So uh, if you're one of our Hall of Fame or Elite tier patrons, uh, put that on your calendar. We'd love to see you guys. And if you're not, you want to be part of the fun, you can find us at patreon.com slash the six man show. Again, join our Hall of Fame or Elite tiers. Uh, for access to our monthly uh, patron Zooms. And don't forget, folks, uh, we're still in the midst of all-star voting season. Every single day, you can go to vote.nba.com and vote your favorite Magic player to the all-star game. Jake Fisher of Yahoo Sports joins the show a little bit later. Our boy Luke Sylvia sat down with him earlier today and uh, yeah, gave some good insight on the uh, the impending trade deadline, Luke. It's always interesting. You, you talk to a guy like Jake and... It's also interesting when you're talking to him about the Orlando Magic, who are so tight-lipped, and so got to have a really interesting conversation and asked him, you know, things that I felt like were pertinent and what Magic fans would want to hear. Asking about the front office and if how they operate is beneficial, getting his take on that, also just about who you know who are you hearing about the Magic being interested in dealing and. Who could have you been hearing or think could be a good match coming back to Orlando the other way? So a lot of good things. Uh, quick conversation, but uh, a lot jam-packed in there. Tried to get in as much in as we could to just uh, provide some good content for you guys. So hopefully you guys enjoy that coming up here at the end of the episode. All right, let's get into the state of the Magic. So, so far this week, the Magic are 1-1 one one with a win over the Knicks in Madison Square Garden on Monday, MLK Day. And then the loss tonight, Wednesday, on the back of the DeJounte Murray buzzer beater. Uh, the Magic now currently sit eighth in the Eastern Conference with a record of 22-19. and 19. They're 10 games back of first place Boston, six games back of Milwaukee, five games back of Philly, three games back of Cleveland, two games back of New York and Miami, a game and a half back of Indy. They're three and a half games up on Chicago, five games up on Brooklyn, four and a half games up on Atlanta six games up on Toronto. And then coming into Wednesday, uh, the Magic were 23rd in the NBA in offensive rating with a rating of 112.2. And they are third in the NBA in defensive rating with a 111.1. They're 14th in net rating with a net rating of 1.1. Taking a look at the injury report, Luke, it is starting to get a little bit lighter. Uh, Wendell Carter Jr. returned to the lineup on Monday against the Knicks after missing the past five games with knee tendonitis. Franz now has missed the past seven games with an ankle sprain. Gary Harris has missed the past seven games with a calf strain. 
Joe Ingles and Markel Fultz, uh, who missed the second night of a back-to-back Saturday against OKC, were both back in the lineup Monday and Wednesday as well. So we're we're getting there. We're not quite there, but we're we're almost there. Like we're missing two really big pieces now in, in Gary Harris and, and Franz Wagner, and Franz especially cannot come back soon enough. A little NBA news that is definitely relevant to the Magic in terms of like the playoff race and you know their standings in the Eastern Conference. Uh, Pascal Siakam is being traded from the Toronto Raptors reportedly to the Indiana Pacers for Bruce Brown, Jordan Wara, and three first round picks. I believe at least one or a couple of those first round picks, the Pacers own like a few and they're going to end up sending like the worst of the first round picks that they have in some of these given years. So it's not just like three unprotected first round picks, Uh, but it is quite a haul for the Toronto Raptors. A lot of people believe that the Raptors should have moved on from Siakam earlier and probably could have got a bit better of a haul with the fact that now he is going to be an unrestricted free agent this year. But by all reports, Indiana seems confident that they're going to be able to re-sign Siakam this offseason. Luke, what was your initial reaction to the trade? I mean, the Pacers knew what they wanted in terms of the uh, just the abilities that Pascal Siakam has. And Pacers are obviously weak on the defensive end while being historic, quite frankly, on the offensive end. Pascal brings the edge defensively. So he's going to help the Pacers a lot there. Uh, I think that, that Pascal is, is going to be a very valuable asset to them on that defensive end of the ball. He fits into the offense. It's hard not to with that offense for sure. And the amount that the Pacers gave up just tells me that they're going to resign Pascal Siakam. Like, you don't give up that many picks unless you are sure you're going to be getting Pascal Siakam to resign. So, I thought it was good. I think it's fine for both teams. I think it shows us which direction that Toronto is probably heading, just trying to kind of build for the future. They're going young with RJ Barrett and Emmanuel quickly. And then unloading Pascal Siakam, who, you know, contributes to success there. And so it seems like they're kind of moving away from that. It's interesting to see what, what they'll end up doing when, because they did add RJ Barrett and Emmanuel quickly. I'm interested to see the direction that they're going to go. But the Pacers, while it is a great addition, I think it still keeps them in the same grouping. I don't think that this, and I think they probably know that, right? Like they they understand that this trade doesn't launch them, catapult them into like a top three conversation. I think they're still very much in the same grouping as like the Knicks and the Heat and the Magic and the Cavs and all of that. So interesting step in the right direction i guess we'll we'll see how it pans out but yeah i mean it came through and i was like i just still want more i want more as a fan i want i want more than just a siakam trade so hopefully talking about like nba drama you want yeah 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 entertainment level like great and everybody wanted to i think everybody was just wanting to hype up stuff right like pascal don't get me wrong he's a great player he is going to help the pacers a lot but one or more. We'll see. We'll get more, I'm sure. So what do you think that does for like the Magic's chances? Uh, you know, because we just talked about the standings a, a little bit ago, and you know, it's no secret that the Magic are sliding a bit. Uh, you know, a little over a month ago, this team was nine wins over 500, and after tonight, they're three wins over 500. And if you're looking at the schedule, if Franz doesn't come back and, and other things that, you know, we'll talk about don't really change. 
this team could like within the next couple of weeks here be below 500 which is is kind of crazy so what do you think it does in terms of like the magic's you know playoff hopes and like seeding hopes i mean it definitely impacts it somewhat here right Halliburton is still out for probably another week at least. I think he's getting reevaluated in a week. I think that's the biggest factor for them is like how quickly Halliburton comes back and right. if he's able to stay back. But so I think that the Pacers like are they better than you at this point? Their offense is awesome. Um, I think that they as it stands it might be, but I just don't know what this looks like really is going to have to be until after the deadline that we can really evaluate these teams. Because who knows? I mean, we don't know. Like, the Pacers have already been able to make a, co- a couple moves. We don't know what the Magic are going to do. We don't know what the rotation is going to look like. That's a whole other thing. We have no idea who's going to get playtime outside of the obvious after the deadline. So I don't really know. I know that it makes it harder for the Magic to not be in that play-in conversation. Because if the Pacers can stay healthy, that's a great team. They're seven and three in their last ten, regardless. Magic are three and seven now. The the good news is for the Magic that you know the, the Bulls are three and a half games back still of them, despite losing a lot of ground as of late in that nine spot. And there's a game and a half separation between the Magic and the Pacers. Two games between them and the Heat and the Knicks. It's. You just got to hang on and survive through the rest of January. You got to win some here <laughs> down the stretch of January. And, and we've talked about it all the time, but that's when at de- after deadline and after January ends, you can really start evaluating this team on where they're going to end up. Does this impact at all your feeling on whether or not the magic should make a move at the deadline or before the deadline? The fact that the Pacers got better. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's not so much that as much as it is is what we'll talk about with this game tonight and what it revealed in terms of the rotation and what we've been seeing as of late with, you know, Fultz being back in the fold, Dell, who it's impacted and taken out of rotation. That Those are the things that there just seems to be really muddy waters right now with the rotation. And that is more so, I mean, the Pacers thing might send it over the edge, but I don't know. I'm still not convinced, especially after what I'm seeing right now, that the Magic aren't, like, winning is great. But I I don't know that they're not also just focused on, I don't even know what they're focused on, to be honest with you, with what we're seeing. If it's just like trade deadline up ahead, we're showcasing guys. I have no idea. Let's let's just have the conversation now, because this is the way that I feel. Yeah. With the Tyus Jones move, I know people are sick and tired of hearing us talk about Tyus Jones. I understand it because we talk about it on every episode. <laughs> this, in you know, not as not to as, as large of an extent as the Pacers going out and get getting Siakam, right? But that is proof of concept of hey, we have a guy that we know is a star. If we can go out and get a guy that is going to help us now, and we're going to resign, and he's going to help us win in the future. If the opportunity presents itself, and we talked about this, teams don't care about tampering. Obviously, Indiana has had words with Siakam's representation, or else they would not be confident about their odds to re-sign Siakam this offseason, especially not to where you would trade three first-round picks for the guy. So you absolutely could 
in a, a perfect world have an understanding of of Tyus Jones's likeliness of re-signing in Orlando if you make that deal for him. And in my opinion, pre-Siakam trade, and, and even post to a certain extent, I still like the Magic's roster more than I like Indiana's roster. As good as Tyrese Halliburton is, Paolo, I think, can be every bit as good as Tyrese, if not better. Franz Wagner, I think, can be every bit as good as Pascal Siakam. And then we still have young guys on this team that we really, really like. So this is like the proof of concept of like, hey, what we've been talking about with the Magic, and even if it's not Tyus Jones, this team needs a legitimate point guard that you can rely on for the majority of a regular season. That guy does not exist on this roster right now. As much as I love Jalen Suggs and I love Cole Anthony, those guys are not point guards. They just simply are not. If you're relying on those guys to facilitate your offense, you are not going to have an efficient offense. It's just as simple as that. And to your point, Luke, my question is, what are we doing? (laughs) Because I have no idea. You're not trying to develop guys because the moment that Markel Fultz came back, where's Anthony Black? Played like 16 seconds at the end of the first quarter tonight in like an offense-defense situation. I guarantee you, with the way that it's looked when um, you know Markel and, and Wendell have come back, as soon as Gary Harris is, comes back, you're not going to see Caleb Houston. I can almost guarantee you that now at this point. This team, in my opinion, needs to and should make a move at the deadline. Paolo, Franz, Jalen, and you know a few other guys on this roster have shown you like, hey, we are ready to win now. It's not a case of like, oh, hey, is this team really ready? Are we taking a step like too early? Like, no, this team, when healthy, when they're put in positions to be successful, have proved to you time and time again that they are capable of playing winning, sustained basketball. And that has come mostly when the team has been healthy, but also when you have prioritized defense over the offense. And right now, for the past several weeks, it feels like we've been putting the offense first with starting Caleb Houston and Chuma Okeke in the last couple of games playing Markel Fultz extended minutes and going away from Anthony Black and going with Wendell Carter Jr. down the stretch tonight because he was making threes and not going back to Gogo Batadze, who the Hawks had no answer for on the offensive glass, or going back to Jonathan Isaac, who they had, again, no answer for. Jonathan Isaac played nine minutes tonight. Like, what are we doing? That fourth quarter and whatever the hell was going on with the rotation in the lineups, one of the more baffling decisions that I've seen Jamal Mosley make this season. I, I could not believe that that was the lineup that we chose to go with uh, down the stretch of this game. And I just think that the guys that are on this team that you plan on having around for a long time have shown enough that, hey, we don't, we're not waiting for guys to develop anymore. We're ready to win. Are we ready to contend? Not necessarily, but I don't think making a win now move, a smart, calculated win now move, jeopardizes your long term future at all. It really, it, it really didn't make sense at all. Like you said, coming down the stretch tonight, and Mo Wagner not playing. It's interesting. We knew that at the end of the day, Mosley does, doesn't. No coach wants to play three three big men. 
even though he did it for a little bit. But now that you've got, you know, Dell playing 20 minutes, it's not the case anymore. He, Mo Wagner was still a positive, like he, in terms of what he was able to give you, he's a spark plug. It's just hard decisions. But what shouldn't be hard is Anthony Black. And that is something that Kevin brought up as well. Last game against the, you know, Monday against the Knicks. Coach Mosley has Anthony Black in the starting lineup. They learn Jalen Brunson isn't starting. And then AB just like doesn't care. But burn. not against Trey Young. But but then Trey Young make is it obviously make sense. playing. And Anthony Black isn't starting. And I it's weird. You just rolling don't have out, a, I'm so I'm sorry to interrupt. Of, I'm so I'm so mad about this game. So rolling out Caleb and Chuma and Jalen in a starting lineup of Trey Young and DeJounte Murray. It's like, what is the thought process there? Oh, we want to put size on Trey Young. Chumo KK cannot stick Trey Young. Mm. It's not happening. And then the, the uh, we need to talk about the next game before we, before we go into too much detail about this Hawks game. I'm sorry for uh, stepping on your toes no, there. That's, no, it's fine. It's what people want to hear. For sure, but yeah, man, I don't, I don't have anything else to add until we, you know, if we, when we get to the point where we break down the the game, there's just some head scratching moments throughout the game, not just from rotation standpoint, but the players and the production and down the stretch and just some crazy baffling moments that happen in this one. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about the next game. And really what I want to do is I want to I want to fast forward to the to the third quarter where the Magic trailed by as much as 11. And then the bench unit, uh, Markel Fultz, Cole Anthony, Joe Ingles, uh, Jonathan Isaac, and one other person that I'm forgetting now all of a sudden. I'm delirious and I'm, I'm sweating like a pig. Um, they, they brought the Magic back into that game. Magic were down five, headed into the fourth quarter. Um, and then it was just really uh, back and forth this entire game, as a matter of fact. Uh, was back and forth when we go to the fourth quarter. Paolo Bancaro, Magic uh, are up one uh, with two minutes, 11 seconds to go. Paolo Bancaro walks into uh, back-to-back pull-up jumpers to give the Magic uh, a five-point lead with 137 to go. Um, that was really that was really it. I mean, the Magic have a five-point lead with 30 seconds left. Julius Randle uh, pulls up. Uh, an ill-advised three-point shot and then did you see have you seen the clips where he just sort of like proceeds to walk around uh mm-hmm. on the other end of the floor on defense yeah. mm-hmm. just letting the, the magic really do whatever they wanted to do luke uh but mm-hmm. we're able to close this game it was a gritty win obviously no uh no franz Wagner for the magic no jalen brunson for the knicks but in this stretch recently where you talked about the magic are three and seven in their last 10 and you desperately needed to find a win on the road uh, Magic get a big one over the Knicks. Neither team really uh, shot the ball particularly well. Uh, Magic shot 27% from behind the arc. The Knicks shot 32% from behind the arc. And yeah, just a real barber this one, Luke. This is Magic basketball. This is picture perfect 23-24 Magic basketball. The Magic don't even take 33s. They take 29 they shoot 27.5%. Then they score 52 points in the paint. And the Knicks score 36. If if ever 
you see the Magic shoot under 33s, and then they outscore the opposing team in the paint by 15-plus points, I bet you it's a dub every time because it means the Magic played their game. It was gritty. It was gross. And you only had eight turnovers, which is not typical of Magic basketball. So to go into Madison Square Garden and where you haven't been great on the road coming into this one, you were like eight and 13 on the road. You needed to get it. They didn't have Brunson. You couldn't lose this one after, you know, the heat tried to gift you one the other day with Butler being out and hero as well. It's just a game you have to have. And the magic found a way, found a way, get out of there at this point with like Franz being out. It's interesting. I care less about how we win because I just want the win. And I just look at it from a big picture now with the standings of like, we need the win because of the standings. And I care more about that than on how we won. Just win. Are there going to be things you can take from it? Absolutely. But until Franz Wagner gets back and we get a better idea and a clearer picture of how this team's going to go the rest of the season, there's not a whole lot of analysis. It's it's Paolo putting the team on his back. You finally are at the point where you get Joe Ingles back, which has been good, right? Gives you a little bit, a lot more flow in that second unit. But there's just so many floating variables on this team right now that's hard to really understand what 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 a game was after you watched it so all that to say you get out of this one with a win that's the most important part but it was very much a magic win we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, I have to say I share your sentiment about like at this juncture, I don't really care about how the wins come. I just care that the wins do come. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we go back like a month and a half uh, you know, to the end of November, you know, like the wins over Charlotte, 130 to 117, uh, wins over Washington, 139 to 120 and 130 to 125. It was all right. Like, I'm glad that we're winning, but we're not playing magic basketball. And it was like, hey. Like the wheels are starting to fall off a little bit. Like you're surviving against bad teams. But literally right after that stretch, like you get blown out by Brooklyn. You have a 10-point loss to Cleveland. You beat Detroit. You beat Cleveland. And then you get destroyed 
in consecutive games by the Celtics. And then you lose to the Heat, you lose to Milwaukee in the middle of a nice little four-game losing streak there. At that time, when the team was healthy, certainly we're, we're more critical just about how the team was playing overall. At this point, like the wins, as long as we get them, I, I really don't care how they happen. Uh, but yeah, gutsy win by the Magic in, in Madison Square Garden. Paolo Bancaro, 20.6 rebounds, three assists. Uh, Goga Batadze, three points, 11 rebounds, three assists in this one. Chuma OKK, 15 points, four of five from behind the arc. And Wendell Carter Jr. in his return, 17 points, 7-11 from the floor, only three rebounds. And then Cole Anthony was huge in the fourth quarter. Uh, 15 points for him, four rebounds, five assists, two steals. So good effort uh, all around by the Magic. Like you said, right now, with the, the way that the, the roster is, and with all the injuries and everything, we're not going to complain about wins. You know what we are going to complain about? We're going to complain about games that you should not lose, like this, uh, this Atlanta game. So last time we played Atlanta, game went to overtime, right? Paolo Bancaro, I think, had like five or eight straight points, something like that, to, to start that overtime. Magic Cruz to an overtime victory. And then earlier in the year, DeJounte Murray hits the big three in Mexico City. So this was like the rubber match, right? Like we're going to see this team again. Um, but like going into this, like Atlanta has not been good. Like Atlanta just quite frankly has not been good this year. Right now they're 17 and 23. They're eight and 11 at home. Like just not a good basketball team, right? Like they don't fit well. But for some reason, they play the magic really, really tough. And I don't want to sit here and complain about Trey Young again, like we did the last couple of times we played them because he just gets officiated differently than any other player in the league, anybody that I've ever seen, he can push off on offense. But if you so much as breathe on the guy, they're blowing the whistle, right? Uh, but the Magic, um, I felt like, got off to a decent start, like especially on the offensive glass. The offensive glass is, is really what kept the Magic in this game like for the majority of the, the first few quarters. Uh, Magic with 16 offensive rebounds in this game. Um, I don't have the second chance points in front of me, but 52 points in the paint. Uh, 43 bench points for the Magic as well. And really, like, apart from knocking down shots, Luke, I felt like most guys played well enough for the Magic to win this game. There were just, there were small, not so much small mistakes. There were big mistakes throughout this game. Like, just whatever the, the coverage was on Trey Young, where, like, the big is coming up to help, and one of the guards is supposed to sink underneath the basket to try to stop the lobs. Like, what is Cole Anthony going to do to stop a Trey Young lob to Clint Capella or Onyeka Okongwu? Like, this is like three straight years now that I can remember of every time we play Trey Young, he just alley oops us to death. Trey Young did not play particularly well in this game. Trey Young, uh, let's see, finished with 18 points, shot 15 of 14 from the floor, but 12 assists. Like, that is really where he killed you. Onyeka Okongwu and Clint Capella. Those guys combined for 27 points. To me, that was really the difference in this game. The Magic have 12 more shot attempts in this game. But Atlanta shooting 51 to Orlando's 43%. And then the Magic, stop me if you've heard this before, uh, but left six points at the free throw line tonight, 16 of 22. And Paolo Bancaro hits the big three with eight seconds left. And then DeJounte Murray, the ball's inbounded to him. He goes the length of the floor. Markel Fultz plays as good defense on him as you really can and he knocks down like a tough falling you know 18 footer at the buzzer and your team loses but like Jonathan Isaac 
was so freaking good in the nine minutes, so impactful in the nine minutes that he played in this game. And a couple of days ago, we hear that, oh, J.I.'s minutes restriction is going to be like 12 to 16 minutes, right? Nine minutes in this game tonight. Nine minutes, 51 seconds, almost almost 10 minutes. In those 10 minutes uh, was a, a team high plus eight. So there we go right there. Um, yeah, I just, this this was... Not my uh, favorite Mosley performance of the year. I guess I can put it that way, Luke. What What do you have to uh, you know say, say about this disaster? Well, obviously, I kind of touched already at the top about rotations kind of being unusual. Um, the other thing I will say on the final bucket where uh, Dejounte Murray is, like I said, not looking at anybody else on the court. Markel Fultz draws the match up there. The mistake that was made defensively, he recovered well to get his hand up in time, like majority in time for the shot. But he puts his hands behind his back because he knows he's getting handsy. He doesn't want to commit a foul. You see right before the shot, he puts his hands down, and that's when DeJounte starts going up. I'm sure DeJounte sees a clock. He sees Fultz's hands go down. He starts going up. And at that point, he's already lasered, lasered in on the on the rim, on the goal there, basket, and uh, and knows that he's going to make it. It doesn't matter at that point what Fultz does with his arms. So I that didn't was hate even... that because of the way that the game had been officiated. Of course. Like, there were so many tough. touch fouls in Atlanta's favor, but guys are getting hammered on our end per usual and not getting to the free throw line. But, you know. Yeah. Now, the the most frustrating part of this game for me was a minute, two minutes, three seconds left. Sadiq Bay takes a three-pointer, 23-foot three-pointer. Is this the offensive rebound mm-hmm. debacle? Yeah. Yes. Sadiq Bay gets his own offensive rebound long, right? Okongwu, after DeJounte Murray, somehow misses the layup. Okongwu gets the offensive rebound, misses the tip shot. Okongwu gets his rebound. Jalen Johnson gets the ball, misses driving layup. Sadiq Bay, offensive rebound. Sadiq Bay misses tip shot. DeJounte Murray, offensive rebound. Then, because if you give a team 300 chances, eventually it's going to go in the bucket. Murray gets a shot there at, you know, a seven foot shot, right? Easy at that point. You, there in no universe can you give up, what is that, five? Five offensive rebounds in one possession. At that point, the the Hawks were up one. Then Murray hits it. They go up three with a minute forty one left. Huge. Imagine you get a stop there. You go down. You get another bucket like that. That is a crazy momentum swing and point swing in general. At that point, you should have been you should have been up ninety nine ninety eight on the other end if you get that stop, get that rebound, get a bucket. That was a turning point for me in this game as well. And then the other head scratcher was Markel Fultz going down three on one. Oh my gosh. You had to remind me. <laughs> so and, like, yeah, uh, in the third quarter, Markel Fultz has a three on one with, I think it was Paolo and Jalen Suggs and just like drives into the lane and then dribbles the ball out. Like the Markel Fultz that I know and love would never do that. I don't, I, he, he's, he does not look the same. No, at that point, the, the the usual Markel Fultz is throwing it up, 
or he's just drawing he's drawing the defender to him making the right pass right and or like you said he's jamming it or drawing a foul literally do anything but what he just did like i've never seen anything like that in my life and it's so funny that i saw a couple people try to dismiss it they were like oh happens like no it doesn't no that doesn't happen maybe on a a two-on-one maybe right defender does a good job playing cat and mouse with you on the break and they force you to basically just either turn it over or dribble it out because it's not there. But a three-on-one, there is no reason why that ends in you dribbling it out. I don't care that you didn't turn the ball over in that instance. Just atrocious. You know, Markel was big the other night in mm-hmm. New York in the in the fourth quarter. As I'm as I'm talking here, I'm trying to go back to that game and see exactly what Markel's statistics were in the fourth quarter because he had a he had a couple of. Uh, couple of big plays. All right, he had four rebounds, three assists. He didn't even score in the fourth quarter. So people that were, and I, I hate that we're turning this into like, we're, we're making a case against Markel Fultz, but people were like so vindicated about the, the, the Knicks game for Markel and the way that he played down the stretch. He, he made some massive plays. Like I'm not trying to make light of his, his playmaking and the assists that he had because they were, they were critical and crucial in that game. However, and the hand, you know, handful of games that he's been back, you know, what is it, three, four, five games that he's been back. The the sample size that we have so far is that the jump shot is completely gone. Completely has has not attempted a three since coming back. Doesn't matter if he doesn't have anyone within twenty feet of him. He looks down. He re, he remember he remembers like, oh wait, I'm at the three point line. I I can't shoot these anymore. And then passes it or or dribbles, you know, in, into into the lane. He had one pull-up tonight from like 12 feet that barely grazed the front of the rim on the way down. Like it was legitimately almost an air ball. The, the jump shot seems to be completely gone to the point where like he's like 15 feet from the basket and, and Bogdanovich is like playing off of him as if he's standing at the logo. Like teams are, are not afraid of Markel Fultz offensively now whatsoever. There is a a pick and roll. I'm trying to remember when it was, either in the the third or the fourth quarter, because we were going um, towards uh, Atlanta's bench, and Paolo and Markel are like in a in a pick and roll, and they're just like trapping Paolo off the pick and roll. They're not even looking at Markel Fultz. So when you're in like a toxic relationship, and I hate that I'm using this analogy, but you know that that girl, she got that sweet old thing. She got that sweet old Heine, Luke, and she calls you at 3 a.m. like, hey. <laughs> I know, I know things have been rough between us, but hey, remember how good it is when it's good. Don't let that one night of sin, okay, make you forget about all the bad times. Don't look at that fourth quarter from Markel Fultz and be like, see, this is why we need the guy. Because where was he for the other you know, 27 minutes of that game? He was terrible. Cardio. Tonight, he was terrible as well. Like looking at uh, Markel Fultz statistics for this game. Going back to the box score here, Markel Fulton, 30 minutes, had 10 points, was 5 of 8, so was relatively efficient, but 4 rebounds, 1 assist, 3 steals, 4 turnovers, and like atrocious turnovers, 5 personal fouls as well. Like, numbers don't tell you the entire story. Markel Fultz, like, was not very impactful in this game. And I'm at the point where 
I don't want to see a lineup of Paolo Bancara and Markel Fultz on the floor together because it does not work. We've seen enough of it now. <laughs> it is absolutely insane that I'm about to say this, and I, I know... I know it's insane because of just how big of a Markel Fultz fans that we have been, me, myself included. In I know that. what you're going to say. Just speak the truth. You said you don't want to see Markel Fultz and Paolo Bancaro on the floor together. Quite frankly, I don't want to see Markel Fultz on the floor. All right. I didn't think you were going to say that. That's, but I'm not, I don't strongly I, I, disagree with that. At I, all. I hate that I am saying this because I wanted him to be work out so badly. And it seems that even my take of like where I stood on Fultz and have stood on Fultz for years, that he is going to be a good starting point guard in this league for a very long time. I just don't see that right now. Now, my thing is like, I want, like I said, I want him to be good. I wish this was the guy that I could see being the point guard of our team for the future. But if you cannot shoot the basketball at all, at all and i listen i understand it is definitely a nerve thing it's gotta be tos i Look don't know the how massive it, bandage on his shoulder yeah i don't know how it works i don't know how you know if it just comes back if it flares up or if it whatever like the, the flares up probably not the right term but like comes back i don't know how it works i'm not gonna act like i do i never do but i watched him double pump from like six feet away tonight from the basket. And I think he barely drew iron. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. He barely touched the front of the rim. Barely touches it. And that he's that shooting point, shooting uh twenty nine percent from the mid range so the, far this year. And listen, if if this really if the solution is him rehabbing to get better and to get right and for this to go away. If that's what that takes, fine. But do not put them on the floor. You know what, Luke? I'm tired of doing that. I'm tired of doing this. Oh, when the, when the guy gets healthy, when he finally miraculously is able to get healthy and stay healthy. At least, listen. I don't. I don't want to be like the the Jonathan Isaac apologist. That's probably not even the the best term to use. To be honest, I'm talking about Jonathan Isaac. But at least when that dude is on the floor, he is a world of a difference maker. Like he is arguably the most impactful guy on the floor for the Magic every time he's on the floor. Every time. So when we're gonna do this thing year after year of like, oh, when Markel gets healthy, he's able to stay healthy. Oh, it was the 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 knee, or oh, it was the foot, or oh, now it's the shoulder, oh, now he's gotta rehab this, or Wendell Carter, oh, it was his foot, oh, now it's his knee. Like how how much longer are we gonna put like the future of our starting lineup into Markel Fultz and Wendell Carter Jr. when they have showed us time and time and time again. And it's not their fault. It sucks that it's not their fault, but they have been given all of the opportunity in the world to stake their claim to being the starting point guard and the starting center of this team for years to come, and they cannot stay on the floor. Wendell Carter was awesome tonight. 17 points. Goga Batadze was still better. Like that's how impactful Goga Batadze was. Like Goga had like a like a double-double tonight. Yeah, 10 rebounds, 10, uh, 10 points, 3 assists, a steal, 2 blocks. But those 7 offensive rebounds are what was keeping us in the game for the longest time. And this season, Goga Batadze has been a much better defender than Wendell Carter Jr. They were both losing Capella and Akongwu 
on like the the Trey Young coverages and the lobs at the rim. To me, that's more of like a schematic and like more of like a Mosley issue. Like I'm of the mind like let do the the Stan Van Gundy, LeBron James in the 09 Eastern Conference Finals. Let Trey Young get 40. Let him fight for 40 points. But guess what? Throw Jalen Suggs and throw Anthony Black at him. They didn't do that at all tonight either. Don't just because you know what is a guaranteed bucket every single time a wide open lob to Clint Capella and Oyeka and Kongwu. Side note. I'm just tired of of doing the oh we'll wait till they get healthy stuff. I I mean I agree. I think you're to the point where you have. I, I I'm just like sick and this. tired of being sick and tired. Literally, <laughs> as a matter of fact, I I feel like I said this a couple of weeks ago, but you you've got to start consolidating soon. And I think you start with the injured players. You have You've to. You've been doing this for four years. Aren't you tired of it? Yeah. I think Magic fans are legitimately at their breaking point with this stuff. Yeah, Because this, this season was yeah. so awesome. And then injuries have just crumpled this team over the course of the last month plus. It is just insane to me. Last year, we saw this team so committed to developing. Then you have a guy like Anthony Black who shows legitimately that he is going to take the open three. Is he going to always make it? No, but at least he's going to take it. And he defends his butt off. And he doesn't just defend his butt off like effort-wise. He he produces defensively. And he's shooting 34.6% from behind the arc. Like, yeah. I can live with that in a first year. Um, What's his volume? Uh, I can look that up. Keep talking. But anyway, you know... So it's just irritating at this point that you're not able to to get him minutes when he's proven himself a little bit, right? 1.4 a game. Not great. Yeah, but. but like I said, shoot him when he's open. More than I can say for Markel Fultz where they don't even take him seriously on the perimeter right now. And they never really have, to be honest with you. But Anthony Black, like it's not just that you would be developing him. It is that I truly think that he impacts winning. That's the thing, Luke. We're not doing we're we're not going in the in the direction of development or else we'd be playing Anthony Black. Yeah. And we're not going in the in the, the, the direction of let's win games, or you'd have Anthony Black on the floor. You'd have Goga mm-hmm. Batadze on the floor in the closing minutes. You'd have Jonathan Isaac on the floor in the closing minutes. What is the direction of this team right now? I d I don't understand it. I don't know what you get from Markel Fultz of the trade deadline, but you you've gotta be looking at it right you've got to be looking at it we heard reports about Wendell Carter Jr. You, you've got I mean, like I said Mo Wagner's just getting DMPs right now and I understand that's a tough situation because Dell gives you nights like he's had the past couple nights he's looked much better than what we saw the first couple games I'm much less were, upset about that it sucks but of course it is what it, it might is. just come down to that that Mo Wagner just continues collecting the, the DMPs I can get over that, like you said. Markel Fultz playing 30 minutes tonight. 23 against the Knicks. And it's just some crazy, like, four turnovers for him tonight, by the way. One assist. That's that's pretty damning, right? Like, four turnovers, one assist for Markel Fultz. That's not the Markel Fultz that we're used to. We're used to the one that he was against the Knicks, and especially in the final minutes. Seven assists, zero turnovers in that one. 
tonight maybe maybe it was an outlier as far as the the turnovers and whatever i'm guarantee i'm willing to bet that but he just was not mentally there tonight i don't know if it was just like oh man my shot is way worse than what i thought it was going to be in this game and i'm letting it dictate my decision making i'm in my head that sort of thing we just we just don't have time for guys to be in their head because they're they're dealing with all that stuff. That's a that's a big burden, I'm sure, for Markel Fultz. I know it is. Former number one overall pick, and now he can't shoot from five feet and out. So I think you gotta move him. Free up Anthony Black. If I could get Anthony Black to play thirty minutes in a game, I promise I'd be happier. He's not gonna make the mistakes that Fultz makes tonight and he's going to defend at a super high level and give you a much better shot in this one. It's, it's very frustrating. And the the other thing is like talking about the direction of this team, when you're consistently making decisions on a nightly basis that seem to trying to remedy the offense, when you are preaching, like prioritizing the defense, it's just really weird. Like you know, Wendell consistent. Carter playing down the stretch of this game and instead of Goga Batadze and you know Markel Fultz and starting Chuma OKK and, and Caleb Houston together, which like that experiment just needs to end. Like you, you need it's more ball handling in that starting lineup. Chuma OKK go like the only ball handlers you have in that starting lineup are Paolo and, and Jalen. And like those guys are just being asked to carry far too much of an offensive and playmaking burden right now. And Caleb Houston has just gone so cold from behind the arc recently. If he's not making threes, you can't play him. Like you, you, you genuinely can't. Like he's he's good enough defensively, but the three point shooting is what opens up everything else for him. Like a little bit of the playmaking and like the gravity that he creates. Like once he hits a couple of threes and and gets going, and like the the defense starts to tilt a little bit to that side, it's great. But you know when you're going. What was it tonight? I mean, the dude missed like four straight wide open threes to start this game. He was one of seven from behind the arc. When you're doing that, teams are are gonna be like, yeah, go ahead, sure, buddy. You you keep shooting those threes. So we've we've gotta we've gotta figure something out. I, I think it's time to consolidate and that that's the thing. Like, hey man, you want these broken action figures that I can't use anymore? You wanna give me twenty bucks for them? Like, no, of course. Nobody's going to give you anything of value for them. Yeah, if you're not getting value at that point, you're just getting guys off the roster so you can get minutes for the ones that need it, such as yeah. Markel Fultz unloading him for literally nothing. Literally nothing. Similar, unfortunately, to what we got him for. Yeah. The, the I still value. wouldn't. I'd still rather Markel than Jonathan Simmons. Let me make that perfectly clear. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Pretty even uh, right now. Um, I, th- I think you have to. You've got to move him. You've got to just free up minutes for Anthony Black. I. That's all there is for me right now. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not ready to say like Anthony Black is like the long term starter because he's got a long way to go to be like a serviceable NBA point guard. I think. Hate to say it, people are really getting sick of me saying it, but give me Tyus Jones, man. Give me Tyus Jones or. Or somebody that can facilitate and shoot in a consistent way, and they are going to be available for the overwhelming majority of the season. That's 
what I want right now for Paolo and Franz because those guys deserve it. Like, how well did those guys have to play before the front office is like, oh, okay, like we don't need to develop, we need to build and you know, accentuate what these guys do well. That's where I think we are. And the, the front office, like, are, are they confident they'll be able to do that in free agency this year? Because I'm not. So figure out a way to make it happen. That's that's your job. Like you got to you got to find a way to get value for something that may be less desirable that's going to benefit your team. Like they they've made moves in the past that they've done it the you know trading Booch, right? Like hey, what would have happened if that last game a couple of years ago before the trade deadline when like Evan Fournier hits that game winner against the Suns? We're like, oh no, wait, look, remember Evan Fournier is good. Like people were doing at the end of that Knicks game with Markel Fultz. What if we did that with Evan Fournier and decided to hold on to that group? Right? Like as much as I love these guys, like I genuinely love Markel Fultz and Wendell and, and Gary Harrison and, and Jonathan Isaac, you know, talking about health. You can't talk about health and not include J.I. in that conversation. But as much as I love those guys, like we're trying to hang a banner someday. And if we just hold on to guys because we love them and not because they're available and, and making an impact on winning when they're on the floor, we're never going to win anything. <sighs> all right. Let's talk a little bit about Patreon. Uh, so first of all, our patrons, they're the folks that help make each and every episode possible. Uh, whenever we have a brand new patron, we give them a very special shout out. So this episode is brought to you by Debo1980, who uh, has joined the Patreon as a Hall of Fame tier member. You've had a big influx uh, lately, Luke, into the, the Discord, which has been a lot of fun. Uh, people like literally talking Magic Basketball 24-7. We talked about uh, the month monthly uh, Zooms that we do with our Hall of Fame and Elite Tier patrons. Uh, and then we give a special shout out to our Hall of Fame and Elite Tier patrons each and every episode. So let's go ahead and start with Court Cousins, Drew Gooden, Armin, Carson Tulo, Jonathan Borges, Normal, Magic Player History, Gabe Gaines, Wiffle, Michael Martin, Jamel Miller, Michael Salapong, Donkey Punch Dave, Paolo and Franz's Warrant, Pierre A, Dylan Holden, Mr. Mikey, Eduardo Sanchez, Danimal, Dutto 15, Bobby Skinner, Godi 93, Teddy Sylvia, Eric Lopez, Fuchsia, Bill Fulton, Edmund, Lagone, Jose Esquilin, Caleb Pete, Cannibalism, Ty, Mr. TV, ESPN Really Sucks, Gear 95, Shred, Junior, Bruce, Half Reekin, Shahan 177, Obi the Don, Hemlo, Ben Hemro, RM Prop 221, Magic Kid 714, Spanking Season, Soft Taco, Victor Cologne, Irish Magic Mike, Austin Lampy, Random Hustle, Only Franz, Maria, Keith Wallace, Fritz, Currency Kev, Rub Sal, Casey Green, Santi Leon, Kay Neckler, The Distract, Ahmad Timsa, Chansu, Tom Gadsden, Dead Air, Richard Tuttle, Jeremiah Quintero, Barstool Magic, and Debo 1980. A big shout out to all of our patrons. I just shout out 64 Hall of Fame and Elite Tier patrons. Each and every single one of you are able to join us for our Zoom. So I would love to see like 20, 30 people mm -hmm. in that Patreon Zoom that we're having next Thursday, January 25th at 8 p.m. Make sure you mark it on your calendar. Luke, let's talk some chicken. 400 West New England Avenue and uh, Suite 13 Hannibal Square. Man, jam hot chicken. Winter Park. You guys have heard us talk about them all the time. They have the nashville and la inspired hot chicken jonathan and i hit it up recently incredible we say it every time but like we you you said the same thing to uh to our boy andrew there you said 
I, I often wonder, am I overhyping this in my head? And then we eat it. And we're like, oh, no, we're not overhyping this, actually. False alarm. Like This is genuinely incredible hot chicken. So go check them out. Let them know that we sent you jamhotchickenfl.com for their menu, online ordering for ordering ahead. And then also you can find them on social media at jamhotchicken. Let them know we sent you. And now without further ado, let's get into Luke's conversation with Yahoo Sports Jake Fisher. And now we are joined by senior NBA reporter at Yahoo Sports podcast, co-host or host of No Cap Room, which is under the Ball Don't Lie umbrella and author of Built to Lose, How the NBA's Tanking Era Changed the League Forever. Um, now, Jake, welcome you in here. And um, that's actually the last time we had you on the show. You were getting ready to, I believe, or had just released it recently. And uh, so it's been a few years. How you been, man? I'm doing well, man. Thank you for having me again and giving me the platform to show this book right here. That's uh, It's been out for two years, but yeah, we need to do one last push. So I, I appreciate you and uh, anyone who's listening to give it one more thought, I guess. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think the last time we had you on, Jake, you were still, you were at Bleacher Report since, mm-hmm. as I mentioned there in the intro, you've transitioned to Yahoo being the senior uh, reporter, NBA reporter there. And the last time you were on, I wanted to bring this up because you dropped a little nugget at the end that I didn't catch until about a week later. And the reason I didn't catch it until a week later was because Steve Clifford was out the door, uh, parted ways with the magic. And you had said at the end of the episode something pretty nonchalant of like, I don't know if he's going to want to stick around for a rebuild. Uh, yeah. It could be sooner rather than later. I don't really know. And then yeah. it happened. And uh, I listened back to the episode the other day after we confirmed today. And I was like, Jake knew, Jake knew it. Jake knew all along. He, he did. Yeah. yeah. So that's uh, the Steve Clifford era has obviously ended in Orlando. And now we've moved on to uh, the coach Jamal Mosley era, which is a lot yeah. brighter, um, a lot more upbeat. <laughs> and, uh, and, and everybody loves him, which is, which is great. Yeah, no, he, Jamal Mosley is like a very, very, very well regarded guy, let alone coach in the NBA. People love that dude. I remember going to Dallas in the years that he was there with the Mavericks and like watching post practice him, Luca, and Jalen Brunson would play like one on one with three dribbles. So, mm-hmm. like, A, you got to really see Jalen Brunson's footwork and all his like crafty finish stuff that, you know, he's doing with New York now. And B, you got to see Jamal Mosley like down in a defensive stance, like loving the work, the guys loving him. And it just, it to me, that also foreshadowed the type of stuff he's been capable of doing with Orlando right now. Like top defense, you know, unit of like a, a young squad. And they're, you know, arriving, I wouldn't say ahead of schedule, because I do think like there was hope that they'd be on this upward trajectory. But yeah, he's been the right guy so far for that job. And it, like you said, it, it really isn't ahead of schedule when if you were someone in tune with the magic or been watching the games or just even just looking at numbers, you look at the five and 20 start last year. Every magic fan knows the last three fourths of the year, the magic finished at like a 45 win pace. Right. So at that point, it's like we saw this coming. We were just banged up to start the year now getting bit by the injury bug a little bit as of late, but uh, but still going to be you know, seemingly good enough to to make the postseason this this season, which will be really nice for uh, for Magic fans for sure. 
I mean, they're still right in the thing. I'm, I'm looking at the standings right here. Mm -hmm. Still right. I mean, they could get the four seed tomorrow, you know, with a, <laughs> and a couple things happen. Like mm -hmm. it's, it is interesting to see there's really been a clear four through eight established in the East. And like all these teams have different cases and different reasons why they could become the one to emerge with all that. They all have a different case and reason why they could fall. So mm -hmm. interesting to see how it all unfolds, especially with the, with the deadline coming up here. Yeah. And obviously the reason the magic are where they are is because of the front office large in part, right? Like you look at Jeff Weltman, now Anthony Parker newly as well on board there at the top of the front office. I wanted to ask you about them because you're obviously familiar with what they pulled during draft season with Paolo Bancaro, how everybody thought that it wasn't Paolo, it was Jabari, Jabari, Jabari. And then it comes down to it and there was a late switcheroo, right? Like that that is just encapsulates what this front office is. Now, as far as when you talk about them, Jake, or when you report in general, <clears throat> I'm interested to get kind of your take on like, if you're officially going to report on something, is it only after you hear it from multiple credible sources? Because you can't just report everything you hear. Yeah. And I feel like that's what you probably what probably happens a lot with this magic front office. Yeah, I mean, look, I got a running Google Doc that just has, you know, is this guy unhappy? This team for this guy? <laughs> question mark. And you just collect all the puzzle pieces. And my approach has always been I mean, I came up at Sports Illustrated where the company policy was you can't report something without two sources and mm -hmm. really only would report anything off of one person unless it's like the guy. Like if a GM from a team called me and said, hey, we're doing this, um, that would be like probably the one like loan, not one, but one of the few loan uh, situations where that could happen. If like an agent of a player called me and said, we want, you know, that type of thing. Um, but to be honest, like people don't really like call me and say, write this. That's not really my lane mm -hmm. in this world. It's more about, I have my people that I talk shop with on a pretty regular basis. And then there's like second and third and fourth degrees pulled out from there. People I call semi-regularly and once in a blue moon. And then there's the people that you call just when it's time to, I mean, like reporting on the Indiana Toronto talks um, from last night, like I had just like heard through the grapevine certain things and certain players. And then you can call some agents, you can call a trainer, a college coach. Like it just sometimes there's no direct route to go about it, but you have your different uh, lines that you can reach out to. And once you, I mean, I, I personally like to have at least two and even like, Sometimes the two just you're not left feeling good enough, you know, and there's certain things that you just don't write. And if you get beat or someone else has it, like it's okay. Mm -hmm. At least my mindset is there's always going to be another thing to write and report. And I'd rather not be wrong than I'd rather, yeah, I'd rather not be wrong than like mm -hmm. have shot something out there. Yeah. I, one thing I'm certain of is that you've not gotten a call directly from Jeff Weltman telling you what he's going to do. Do you think that the privacy and the way that the public eye now perceives the front office of the magic, do you think that that's, that's accurate? Like they are that locked up. And also, do you think that that get, does give them an edge? 
So like my personal standpoint is acting so secretive. I don't know how much that really benefits a team. Cause like there's a fixed marketplace here. You know what I mean? If, if Orlando wants to do something like they have to talk to other people. So <laughs> it's going to get out in some capacity. And like, I remember finding out the exact Aaron Gordon package to Denver, like, the two nights before it happened, you know, because these trades don't just pop up overnight. Like a lot of these trades start at the previous transaction window, you know, like the Knicks talked to Toronto about OG Ananobi last trade deadline this summer. Then again, December 15th. I mean, the teams that, <clears throat> excuse me, the teams that are going to be talking to Orlando about Wendell Carter Jr. or have any interest in any of their guards. You know, there's a perception around the league, right, that Orlando should or has to do something about the backcourt. Like, the teams that have been interested in Markel or Jalen Suggs or Cole Anthony, you know, just that's just what the situation is, right? Not saying those guys are on the block. Like, those teams have been have made it pretty clear. Like, the agents of those players, the other teams, like all Orlando, like, they all know who wants these guys. So it's really... I think the challenge from when a team is secretive and the benefits of being secretive are like, sometimes things do fall apart when things leak and get out. Like it, cause I think this is such a small business and there's a lot of ego involved. And I think ultimately like people have a little bit of a self-importance as to like what this is. I mean, I'm not like discrediting a GM's job of what they have to do. Cause this is, these are multi-billion dollar organizations, but this isn't like international geopolitics. You know what I'm saying? So um, I sometimes think the secrecy and like the caginess can actually be a detriment. Like you'll hear teams complain about how other teams negotiate and how their process is and whatnot. I'm not saying that that is the case with Orlando. I don't, I really can't mm-hmm. off top of mind say I've heard teams complain about it, but I think like the, Palo instance it was good theater but like it didn't matter at all mm-hmm. at the end of the day orlando was just gonna take Palo. you know what i'm saying so like sure was that potentially an opportunity to get a team to trade up or whatever like i don't know because okc wanted shit by all accounts and houston was gonna take either a Palo or jabbar i didn't think they had any real like motivation to move up. So does being so secretive there benefit them? Like in that case, from my objective lens, no. Can it benefit them later down the line? Maybe, but I just, I don't think, I think people like to talk and like to know that I have a direct line. And when I call them and not people like me, I mean, other executives, I think they like to know when I call Orlando, like they're not just going to lie to my face. Again, not saying Orlando lies, but that's kind of just my, I know I've been rambling a shit ton, so I'm just gonna stop talking. <laughs> no, you're you're good. I yeah, that as a Magic fan, like they're they're not just private about who they're, you know, who's available for trade or all that stuff. They're they're private about timelines for injuries as well. And it's it's mm-hmm. frustrating to Magic fans for sure, because we would like to know. Um, I don't know if it, you know, if players like it as much as we want to believe they do and that it's like part of like the positive thing that like they feel safer in Orlando and they don't feel like they're going to get aired out in their news or whatever. Um, So it's it's interesting and it's interesting to hear other people talk about it, especially someone like yourself that's around it. 
to hear you say like you don't know like there really isn't a conclusion if like their strategy is really worth it maybe we'll find out later into their tenure but to like, this will, point, they win it, like, will they win seven championships or will they you know never make the conference finals <laughs> like, yeah I, yeah yeah yeah, who who knows? And Jake, what I what I want to transition here to, you mentioned it, you know, the guard situation, Orlando or Wendell Carter Jr. Are there any magic players that maybe you've got any type of inkling on that you're willing to share as far as that you've heard or that the magic have been at least receiving calls about or open to trading up coming up on deadline? Yeah, the only one that I like feel confident sharing is Wendell, just because the injury that sent him to the sidelines for quite a while really allowed Goga Bataze to emerge. And I remember being down in Orlando during the G League showcase and going to that heat magic game and just kind of hearing at that game, like, oh, you know, Goga's like established himself and he's kind of like gonna be the starter here. And they really like Mo as a reserve big. Like there's no real like push to move him into the starting lineup. And, you know, what's going to happen when Wendell comes back? And I was starting to think, like, oh, maybe this is just, like, home cooking. Like, you know, teams like to, especially when you have a guy who you drafted in the second round or you signed to on a minimum, like Goga, like a second draft type of guy. I think teams can tend to overvalue their own work, if that makes sense. But then, like, as December turned into January and as we're, you know, getting really close to the, the, the eighth here, like – the Goga love has, I think, spread around the league. And I think I'd like the consensus amongst NBA talent evaluators is that he would be like, he's worthwhile enough to start exploring what Wendell could get you being that Wendell does have a pretty value contract, all things considered. And there really aren't like a ton of big men on the market right now. Like you have Daniel Gafford, but like, I don't, I don't, I don't really see like a clear cut best center on the board. So that that's also like a, a thing that would make it intriguing for Orlando. Just if you can drop someone into the market that might be able to bring you back some real, real value. I think that's, it's smart and, and, and prudent to do, but with the guards, yeah, you hear, Oh, they want to do this and they want to do that. But like, there's nothing real concrete that I can say right now. Right. Now, the last thing, Jake, I want to, I want to ask you really quick on the flip side of, you know, not just who's going out for Orlando, but anything you're comfortable on talking about that Orlando might be interested in or that you think would be a good fit, something worthwhile for them upcoming here? I've heard the magic have been looking for shooting. We've heard that for two years now, so that's not that shouldn't be so surprising. Then, mm-hmm. you know, this is probably like the spiciest thing I'll say on the show. Like, I personally am waiting to see if they do ever look at making a big swing at a big guard because when Dame was on the block back, you know, when that the final stretches there, like people in his camp were saying Orlando they thought was a, was, was like a possibility. And then like when Drew Holiday was up, people were saying they thought that was a possibility. And I'm not saying or reporting like Orlando was on the phone, like banging down Portland's door for either of those guys. But I don't think those things would have like just been out there coincidentally. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's, it, it'd be an interesting uh, long-term question for the magic to really look at that position being that obviously Jalen Suggs has found a great strength as a defensive minded guy. Cole Anthony, I was not a fan of previously, but he signs this extension and he's having an incredible six-man caliber type season. But there really isn't like that clear, obvious starting floor general guy 
on this roster. You could say it could be Markel, but I, I, I mean, rival executives are always saying like, oh, like watch out for Atlanta to do that. I haven't heard they're going to do that, but that's something that is always being put on my radar. Yeah, I mean, all of that as expected, Jake. Uh, really appreciative of your time. Uh, can you just tell our listeners where they can find you and also yeah. plug the book one more time? Because I know we've got a lot of people that maybe haven't pulled the trigger on buying it and, and should. Thanks, man. Yeah, all our stuff's at Yahoo coming up the next couple of weeks. The Ball Don't Lie podcast feed everywhere you get your podcasts. My show, No Cap Rooms, every Thursday with Dan Devine. We've got Dan's show. Vinny Goodwill does two shows, and the book is Built to Lose, How the NBA's Tanking Era Changed the League Forever. There's a ton of Rob Hennigan, Orlando Magic, Dwight Howard trade stuff in there from that trade and uh, drafting Aaron Gordon and picking Oladipo and the infighting between Scott Skiles and the front office and stuff like that, which I know feels like a lifetime ago for Magic fans, but... There's definitely some fun stuff in there, like the fact they wanted Kristaps Porzingis in 2014 and they tried to keep him in the draft, but he stayed overseas and then he was one pick too high for Orlando the next year in 2015, like stuff like that. There's a ton of fun little magic. Well, depending on how how much <laughs> fan, uh, to me, they're fun details that I think any magic fan would like. Yeah. And also, we talked a lot more about the book in our last episode with Jake. You can just easiest way go to youtube type in the six man show jake fisher you'll have the the one from a few years ago where we really spent i think like half of our conversation talking about the book and we were so enthralled with the stories you were sharing and especially at such a young age like at 20 just hitting the ground running pounding the pavement and uh and getting after it so jake once again appreciate you man hope you have a good rest of the week and uh stay safe during this uh trade deadline season thank you man Luke, great conversation with Jake Fisher again. Uh, really, really appreciate Jake taking the time uh, come on the show, talk a little bit of Orlando Magic basketball. And uh, leading up to the trade deadline, Luke, like I said, Magic need to make a move. It's going to be really interesting to see what they do. Yeah. Again, big shout out to, to Jake. He's a busy man. I've seen it. He's already been on a few other podcasts as well, team-related podcasts, making his rounds, super busy time of the year for him. So anytime at all is much appreciated so go check him out i believe on twitter or x he uh it's twitter. His, stop saying x it's twitter I, bro it's always it's gonna be, gonna i don't care what elon says it's twitter bro it's eventually gotta do it but his at is jake l fisher and that's f-i-s-c-h-e-r there he is aside from shams and Woj, he is the name that i see the most when it comes to reports he's all over it got a ton of connections Made a connection with him. It had been actually three years since he'd been on the show. So hope you guys enjoyed the conversation. Go uh, throw Jake a follow. Show him some support. He's doing uh, really big things. All right, Luke. Uh, we've got Philly and Miami Friday and Sunday, Sunday to close out the week. Um, let's try to get a win. I, I, I don't know how it's going to happen Wagner. at this point, but you've got to get a win. Bring got to get Franz, Franz back. Wagner. For Friday and Sunday, I would need it to close out the week. Man, just just go one on one at the at the at the least. I twenty three and twenty when we sit down to record on Sunday would be fine, and then you've only got like a a weekish left of January in the schedule. So just like be above five hundred 
at the start of February, right? Like you're you're 22 and 19. You've got Philly, Miami, Cleveland, Memphis, Phoenix, Dallas, San Antonio. Yep. That's seven games. So if you can go three and four during that time, you've you've done it, right? Like we've we've survived January. Like if you can split one of those with Philadelphia, Miami, Cleveland, you should beat Memphis. You should beat San Antonio. So you've got to find a way to to get one against Philly, Miami, Cleveland, Phoenix, or Dallas. Yeah. If you're able to do that, you've accomplished your goal of being 500 at the end of January. And that will be a win, in my opinion, at this point. Yep. And hopefully we get to beat up on some teams for a couple months and get ready for the postseason, stay healthy in the meantime, get healthy, stay healthy. I, It will feel surreal once Franz Wagner comes off the injury report and all we've got is Gary Harris at that point on there. That'll or be those nice guys story. come back at the same time. That'd be great. Hey, bring them back together. I'll take a clean injury report. I haven't had that since what opening night. Pretty Maybe much, couple couple, couple yeah. games into the season, but yeah, so much for a, a fully healthy season. But we we need these guys back so we can finish the last half of the season. All right, let's wrap it up. That's going to do it for this one for Luke Sylvia. This has been Jonathan Osborne. You all have been listening to the Six Man Show, and we will catch you guys next time. See ya. Thanks for listening to The Sixth Man Show. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes and Spotify to get new episodes downloaded directly to your phone. If you enjoyed the show, please take a minute to give us a five-star rating and a review. It helps out the show a lot. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Sixth Man Show. We'll catch you guys next time. Go Magic! Let's go!